Hello and welcome to Popcorn for Breakfast. Acclaimed director Denis Villeneuve debuts his second installment of the Dune franchise reboot with Dune Part 2. Is it also a masterpiece like the first one? Or will we see a Dune Part 3 in the future? Let's chat. Welcome to Popcorn for Breakfast for another special installment of a movie review. Uh, my name is Kirk. This is Cam. What's up? And we're going to talk to you about Dune Part 2. Dune. Part 2. It just, it feels so good to be here, Kirk. Yes. After the delay at the end of the year, which, not to be dramatic, uh, nearly stole my life from me. Stole my soul from my body whenever it was delayed. I was, I was, I was catatonic. I didn't speak. It was bad. It was bad. Um, we were supposed to receive this in November of 2023. Oh, don't. I can't. And I now can't. it's February. You know what, though? I, you know, hindsight being what it is, I think it's better because it has been rough going <laughs> for films lately. So to have a big marquee piece, now whether or not it's good or not, we'll, we'll discuss, but to have a big marquee film to kind of anchor in the early part of the year, I think that was a good move. And I think it was a good move uh, for Warner, which we'll find out at the box office mm. this weekend. Um, but yeah, I think it was the right time after after just just kind of trekking through the molasses that was the uh, bottom dwelling films of January and February. Uh, here we have a big temple film, and will it live up to the hype? Will it indeed? We'll talk about that. This is also another exciting time for Cam and myself. Is that we got to see this movie as a preview? We of- did. This is supposed to come out March 1st. Yes. Uh, If you're listening to this, it's coming this weekend. And we're going to tell you, spoiler free today, if you should watch it or not. That's right. We also got to see it in IMAX, which is... That was a surprise. That was was the most pleasant of surprises, (laughs) which is like, you never know what you're going to get. We're always just like, we'll watch it on a, you know, 27-inch... Toshiba, (laughs) you know, like, it doesn't matter. Like, we're we're just happy to be there. Um, So... To get there, and they're like, it's in the IMAX. We were like, all right, we're going to get to experience the full uh, breadth of this thing and the full scale of it because, you know, Denis, he's, he swings big. He's, he's, he is like a huge sci-fi, massive-scale director. I mean, you've seen Arrival. You've seen Sicario. Not sci-fi, but he, you know, uh, Blade Runner 2049. The I mean, Revenant? Yeah, I mean, he's... No, not The Revenant. Oh, my bad. That's Alejandro. I wanted it to be Denis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's it's he does a lot of these things, so that you got to have the full experience. And I should say, like with it being spoiler free, Dune Part One is on the table, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I mean, you can't oh, yeah. you can't talk about a sequel without talking about the original. We will chat about that. Yeah, and I I took a stroll down memory lane, Kirk. Okay, because this is one of the rare instances. You know, our, our podcast hasn't been around that long. It's been around for a little while, but not that long. This is one of the rare instances where we actually reviewed the original film on the podcast back in 2021. And I gave it uh, just for 
context for everybody listening and watching. I gave it an 8.9 out of 10 mm-hmm. and Kirk gave it a 6.5 out of 10. So we had a big, we had a big difference there. Um, but I did want to ask you like, and, and if you think the appropriate time to answer this question is later, you can, but like, have you, first of all, have you revisited the first Dune movie in this franchise? Not the 19, 19- 85 David Lynch. I've I've done both. (laughs) Oh no. I'm so sorry. (laughs) I have too. I I feel so bad for you. Um, Yes. Though the, the house of Trades family pug is my favorite thing. Like, like, why do they have a dog? (laughs) Here are all of these futuristic creatures and, and advanced uh, life forms. And we've got a pug. (laughs) Here we go from the luscious uh, planet of of Caladan to Arrakis the <laughs> desert wasteland and here's my dog just sitting in my lap like uh like Dr. Evil. Yes. It's, it's crazy. Yes, and Paul inherently is our protagonist. <laughs> Yet no matter what you put Kyle McLaughlin in, who was in the original uh Doom yeah. in 1984, looks like a villain in any shot. It's so he's true. In. I don't he's, understand. He's so sinister looking. It just yeah. anyway. So He's got evil in his heart. That's why <laughs> Now that I know that you've got a chance to revisit the original Dune, did you before seeing this and having rewatched that, do you do you stick by your score? I feel like I do stick by my eight nine. Okay, on, on it, I don't stick by my score. I'm shocked that it is a six point yeah. five. I hope that I gave good supporting arguments for it. You did. You oh, actually, I was very impressed. I was very oh. impressed, Kirk. I thought wow. uh, you were like, I think when the second movie comes out, you were like Nostradamus a little bit. You're like. When the second movie comes out, it's going to enhance this one if it's if it's of the same caliber okay. because there's just so much more there's so much more runway for that. So we'll see if you you know if you liked this one, then in theory this one nice. the first one would be better. But are you saying that because I've gotten dumber over time? Or no, I was I was so prolific and like a, <laughs> like a movie prophet then. It, yeah, it bought it. It was kind of it was a little scary. <laughs> I started to feel a little eerie. I was like, oh, he's speaking of the future. Yes. Well, you see, I am part of the Bene Gesserit. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Surprise! You're, uh, you're getting it. My score. I'm going to tell you my score right now. My updated score. Oh, oh, okay. Because I did pregame with Dune Part One before As Dune Part Two. As everyone should. Yes. <laughs> You need to. You really do. Because uh, it's such a big world. And I am happy to up my score to... Hold on. I updated it here. It was... Hold on. I gotta I'm drum rolling. I don't know if you can hear that on This the is really, really exciting as I scroll. Uh, my updated score for Dune Part 1 is 8.5. Ooh. That's a that's a two-point jump. It's a big jump. That's huge. It's a big jump. This, okay. All this right. This movie, this franchise demands that you see it twice, especially Dune Part 1. I agree. And I've I've... You know, after we saw it, I started to kind of look through the social media reactions from other critics who saw it, and many of them were rewatching Dune Part One for the first time. They're, like as it, meaning it was their first rewatch of the movie, and many, many, many of them did the same thing and bumped it up because I think it's just it's dense and the lore is dense. And I mean, you could you could make an argument that like, well, that's the job of the director to like, and and the screenwriter to like make it concise and get people to understand. But I think. I don't know. I, I don't knock it for that mm-hmm. because I think if you've read the books, um, if you've read the book Dune, which I have, it, it all it, it all makes sense. And I think that once people rewatch it, they kind of understand mm-hmm. that. Um, so that's another reason that I'm excited about this review is that we're able to give you guys multiple perspectives because I have read the first Dune book. Mm-hmm. That's it. I haven't read any of the sequels. I did this crazy thing where when the first movie came out, I was like, I have to read the book as fast as possible. And I only got halfway through. And then I like lucked out because the movie is only the first half of the book. So the movie ended and I was like, wait, what? Like what? 
what's going on? Well, the, the second half is in the second movie. Uh-huh. So I waited until this year, reread the, and then I read the second half. And then so I was ready for this, but I haven't read further. So I'm exactly where everyone is in terms of like knowledge of what happens. Very nice. It's very weird. I, I don't think I could ever do it again. It was a total accident, but here we are. That's fantastic. Uh, another thing I want to speak to about the, the update and score. And uh, like you said, it's the director's job for first viewing. Yeah. I, I I know I've also said that as a as a big soapbox moment before. Yeah. Um, but I'm willing to I'm willing to step down off that soapbox because I, I reconsidered. You know, like is like is it like where where's your head at when you see that movie? What time of day is it? What's going on mm. in your life? And you may not be able to appreciate all of it. And then also, some, did you see it in theaters? I, I don't think you did. I did this not. Was COVID. I saw it in my couch, in my living room. It so. it released same people may not remember this. It released the same day on HBO Max as it did in theaters. Yes. So like very few people saw it in theaters. Mm-hmm. So we don't actually know how the box office is going to do. Everybody's anticipating like one bill, major billion billion dollars. Mm-hmm. Yep, um, but we we have like no proxy for yeah. it, so who knows? So one of my favorite movies of all time is a movie called Moulin Rouge by mm-hmm. Baz Luhrmann. Yeah, no one can watch that one time through and say this is an incredible piece of art. There's so much going on. There's so many different uh, layers to that, like an onion, like Shrek, and you just have to watch it multiple times to really appreciate it. Uh, Dune only takes two. I'll tell you that. Like I'll watch it again, but man, it only took two for me to realize. No, no, this needs more appreciation. I love it. I love it. So yeah, I mean, let, we're, I'm ready to dive in. We're spoiler free, with the exception of. Uh, Dune Part One is on the table. For it discussion. is on the table. Okay. Yes, uh, let's, let's Oscar Isaac dies in Dune Part One. <laughs> there you go. There's your first spoiler. Hopefully, you right there, it. but not before delivering the greatest one of my favorite movie lines ever, which is whenever the you know the the uh, the herald of the change comes to Caladan to tell yes. them that they have to leave Arrakis, and he slowly steps forward and he goes, "We are House Atreides. There is no call we do not answer. There is no faith that we betray." And it's just like. Man, it's, I mean, goosebumps, goosebumps. It's so epic. So RIP Duke Lado slash Oscar Isaac, but I thank lied. you for giving us that. I lied to you guys, Zach. Uh, Oscar Isaac is in the studio with us. We appreciate you for coming <laughs> they, by. Oh, thank you. Yes. Yeah. That's, I, I, I moonlight as Oscar Isaac. That's my, that's my job. <laughs> Can you get your guitar out and sing some songs from inside the <laughs> Davis? Yes, I will. Oh man. One Perfect. of my other favorites. <laughs> Perfect. All right. Well, let's kick it off with the awards and I get to go first. Oh, I realized that like late last night, like I woke me up out of a dead sleep, <laughs> cold sweat. And I was like, Kirk gets to go first. <laughs> and so I had to go back to the drawing board. I was like, okay, what are we going to do here? Uh, so use it well. I want a camera on you. Uh, when, <laughs> 24 when you hour time lapse. So you can see my, just like right above your face, <laughs> like the Oppenheimer shot of Killian Murphy yes. like right there. I love it. That's a great idea. Well, that's coming soon. I'll Let's talk to it. your wife. <laughs> First up, and the Oscar goes to the Best Actor Award for this film. In my opinion, there's no other answer than Rebecca Ferguson. Ladies and gentlemen. Fergie Ferg. I mean, I don't know why she hasn't been given an Oscar for every single performance of every single film she's been in. Uh, She is just absolutely mesmerizing the commitment that she applies to her role and specifically this one i mean she had an impossible task so there are obviously people out there who love the the literary uh, power of dune prior to the movie being made right so cameron was interested because it's coming out and he mm-hmm. lo- he loves to read uh so bravo <laughs> 
<laughs> so it was very timely for that to happen. But she had the impossible task of creating a magical witch society. And of course, in Dune Part 1, as we know, there's that creepy um, power of suggestion, the voice that, that they use to, to gain power, uh, along with many other types of witchcraft and magic that they do in order to uh, kind of control people and, and run the world for their own um, projected commitment to the better better world that they're that they're shooting for so whether that's as far as they believe right as yeah far as yeah they they're trying to they're trying to exert influence yes as, as e they kind of say in the first movie excellent yeah. exert influence uh sometimes in a positive way um sometimes for personal gain for the Bene Gesserit, uh, which is the name they're of like the, the witch mafia the I witch mafia like. <laughs> i like that <laughs> that'd be a good band name witch mafia Witch mafia. <laughs> i love this and i love mafia movies so i'm down um I, wh th what this gave me seeing her start to finish in this film what what this gave me is even more interest in seeing the the spinoff series that's going to be on max oh, yes. i know that i mentioned that i would have preferred to have seen that uh, at a, at the same time, um, or right before Dune Part One, because yeah. I really want to know more about that because it's a big part of this world. Um, and her arc continues in this film flawlessly. If you would have told me exactly before this movie started, hey, here's where she's going. Like if if a book person said, hey, this is exactly where, what's going to happen for uh, Jessica's character, which is Rebecca Ferguson's character. Jessica's going to start here and end here in this film. I would have been like, yes. Thank you so much. And that's exactly what I get <laughs> delivered. Rebecca Ferguson, her commitment, her fire in her to to uh, to tell a story is out of this world. So she gets it for me. Man, I, I love I love Rebecca Ferguson. Mm -hmm. She's she's fantastic. And I loved her in the first movie. I think I think she is like a standout performer in that first movie, too. Just the I love like we all come into movies with, uh, with preconceptions, mm -hmm. we, with biases and things like that, that we have, we have formed through our life. And one of those things is, is the relationship between a mother and her kids or a mother in this case and her son. And she lets us know immediately in the first movie that this is not a mother son. This is not your typical mother son relationship. Are there aspects of it? Does she love him? Absolutely. Is there, are there other things at play? Absolutely. <laughs> um, and lady Jessica is, both in the movies and in the book, such a difficult character to take your eyes off. I mean, you can't. You're, you're just like, what does she have going on? What is her motive? What is happening? Who does her allegiance lie to? Yeah, who's pulling the puppet strings, if anyone? Or is she, is she flying solo? There's just so many question marks. And I just love how she takes full advantage of that in this movie. So I think that's a great pick. Um we're going to stick with, uh, it's going to be ladies night tonight on the podcast. I think. Oh yes, it's ladies <laughs> night and the feelings, right? Who you got? Cause my Oscar is going to Zendaya. Hey, Oh my gosh. I thought she was stellar in this movie. I just like, I, I could not believe where she was able to go with this character and a character that in the book is, um, similar in nature to what they do in the movie, but they do some other very different things with her uh, personalities. And a, and a big portion of this film is the interpersonal relationships that develop. And, you know, as you would expect later on in the story, and she is a just like masterful. She's a, like a revelation in her scenes. She feels so real. She's um, just totally her own person. She's, she feels genuine. Um, I've not seen her perform like this before yeah. and I, and she's done some incredible things, things that I have really loved. Like, I mean, I, I've loved her in, in a lot of things that I've seen her in, but I've never seen her like this. Like I, I couldn't believe my eyes. Um, I just thought it was a stellar performance. I thought her character's arc was 
epic. I thought she, again, to use a term that you used, had the fire. You know, she was just really intense. I mean, you see some of that in the trailer that she's like, you know, she's not um, a pushover by any means. I mean, she has she has what she she has her moral compass of what she thinks is right is wrong, what's right and wrong, and she's not gonna sway from that. And she just like punches you in the face with this performance. It's so powerful. I loved it. Zendaya as Chani. No notes. 10 out of 10. Great, Beautiful. Great, great job. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. It's so true. Everything I've seen her in before, like she played the part uh, of those characters. She fell short in some cases. And I was just like, all right, well, she's just out there. She's just a Hollywood uh, actress in, in these roles because she's popular. And sometimes she does a good job. Sometimes she doesn't. Honestly. Yeah, there's the inconsistency there with some of her other performances. Yeah. Like particularly in that Spider-Man trilogy. I think there are times where yeah. like. They didn't know you're what like, they wanted her to be. Yeah. There are times where you're like, wow, she's so great and there are other times where you're like oof that was not a good scene for her or that was a, that was a poor delivery she's not aware of where the character's at and some of that comes to direction and things like that but in this i was like she's got it, it so <laughs> she's good. she's cooking and what a deficiency that dune part one had when the advertisers are like zendaya i here. know and she shows up in a dream sequence and the very end yes <laughs> i mean how much dialogue does she get in that first movie like next one to sentence. none seriously it's crazy <laughs> but this one she really has the opportunity to have a fully developed character she has a lot of screen time and is yes. very critical to the plot so absolutely great great selection great selection moving on to our scene stealer who caught your eye who grabbed your attention who did you want to see more of every time they were on the screen? My winner goes to Mr. Austin oh, Butler. Man. Ladies and gentlemen. Wow. 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 <laughs> yeah. Wow. From the moment he comes on screen, I don't you know, know if you understand this, but um, but ma- most Hollywood lead actors are just in incredible shape. That's just something that happens. When he opens up, I'm like, do they have a body double? Because he's like three times the size he was in Elvis. Is this like a wax figurine? Yeah, like what's what's <laughs> yes. happening here? And I wouldn't be mad. There's camera tricks like that all the time in movies that we don't even realize. But I'm like, I mean, he's a good looking guy. But holy cow, like the, the lengths that he went to say, no, no, no. I have to be a threat on this screen. You know that he's a villain from the trailers. Mm-hmm. I have to be menacing. And dear me, <laughs> that he is—he yeah. looks incredible. His his makeup, his costuming, his physique, and most of all, his acting. So the question, of course, was: Is he going to be a one-hit wonder with his success as Elvis? And the answer is no. He is here to stay. I thought he was incredible in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Uh, Elvis, out of this water, I would—I was contending for him to win. I—I I, I wish uh, it's fine that he didn't, but I really—he he was up there, and he—he would have deserved it. And in this. Honestly, this could be a best supporting actor if they. Wow, yeah. If the I Academy mean, wants to go that way. Seriously. Um, he, so the, his character is the nephew of the Baron, uh, Foyd Rafa. Am I saying that right? Fade Rafa. Yep. <laughs> Fade Rafa. I wasn't saying it right. Fade Rafa. You could have. Kirk, you're. No, you're. It's <laughs> no, it's okay. Wrong. <laughs> it's all right. Fade Rafa. And he's the nephew of the Baron, played by Stellan Skarsgård. Am I yep. still right in that lore, right? Yep. Okay, exactly cool. right. Stellan Skarsgård, you saw in the first one. And one of the things that he did in his prep and this has come out publicly which is fantastic is that he got a voice coach a dialect coach to get him out of the thick of elvis because he started filming this pretty much immediately after and what he did was he said wait a second 
I'm still in Skarsgård's nephew. I need to sound like him. And there are scenes in which they're cutting away to different dialogue. And you, I, I tell you what, you barely know that it's Austin Butler or Stellan Skarsgård speaking. And that testament, that devotion to making sure that familial connection is there uh, with the with the connection of their characters as well is so masterful. And I appreciate it so much. I see you, Austin Butler, and he gets the win for me tonight here. It's not just the voice either. Like he, it's a full, it's a full, uh, I mean, I mean, it's, it's hard to even, I don't even know how he got to that level of detail because yeah. he is his own character, but there are faces that are made. There that are. are like that sly smile that Stellan Skarsgård's character has just like a little, like a little evil smirk. He has that same thing. Yes. And, um, a scene stealer, I mean, that that's the name of the category and it could not be more true. When he comes on the screen, you're like, I mean, just like jaw dropping. You cannot look away. And I think the thing too, and they say this in the trailer, so this is not a spoiler. They say like, he's, you know, he's demented. You mm-hmm. know, he's a psycho. That's hard to do as an actor to be believable. A lot of people who try to be psychos, who try to be demented, who try to be menacing, um, it comes off as comical because they go too far. They don't know how to keep it controlled. They don't know how to keep it reined in and yeah. they just go crazy. You know, it's like for reference, if you saw Madam Webb, the villain. Oh yeah, exactly. <laughs> or, exactly or like, like Jared Leto's Joker oh, in yes. suicide squad. Like they try to, they just go too far because they don't understand what menace means. Mm-hmm. He was like in the pocket, like right there. And you're like, this guy's nuts. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it was just, I, I was shocked. I feel like we've been bamboozled a little bit. There's been a lot of like social media chatter about like, Oh, he still sounds like Elvis. He still sounds like Elvis. And I'm like, I've seen some interviews where he does. So I know that like there are, there were times over the last couple of years where he did for sure. Yes. But I mean, not anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I also like, think it's just like that role changed his like outlook on life. Uh, in yes. General. So I think he's just, he's matured. Like he is still a young actor. He's, I think he's like 25 or less. So mm-hmm. like there, he just went through a, a huge change in his life uh, as well. So I think there's so many different variables to that. Yeah. I love that pick. I love that pick overall. Um, my scene stealer, this is tough. Cause I, I mean, it's, you can't think about scene stealer without thinking about Austin Butler. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, it's, uh, it's Javier Bardem. Yes. It's as Stilgar. I, I thought he was awesome. And, and Stilgar such a, um, such an interesting character. And I just love the confidence with, with, with which Javier Bardem uh, attacked this. He's obviously got familiarity with Denis Villeneuve. They've worked together in the past, um, in the same way that, you know, Josh Brolin does. They've, they've, co- they've collaborated a couple of times, but Javier Bardem just felt like he was trying stuff on set and like some of it worked and when it did it just added such a level of authenticity to his character and just helped this world which is a very like stellar you know interstellar sci-fi world it just helps ground it in such a way that is so necessary especially since this movie you know if you thought the first movie (laughs) was like crazy holy mackerel this is like to the nth degree i mean it just like it really goes and Having a character like Stilgar, um, who, again, like Zendaya, very, very, very minor character in the first movie, um, but to have a character like that with the acting prowess of Javier Bardem to ground it, to help with the relationship building, to help with the lore. He has, he has a huge, he plays a huge role in explaining the lore to the audience as well as to, um, you know, Rebecca Ferguson and, and, and Timothy Chalamet's character because they are new to this Fremen world that we see at the end of the first movie. And... A lot of times when you have that responsibility as a character, it comes off really clunky. The dialogue comes off weird. 
And with Javi, that was never a problem. Just mm-hmm. never. He's such a pro's pro. He's such a talented actor. I feel like we're all very privileged to have him in this kind of role. Um, whereas, you know, he's he's the leading man type of guy. So oh, he doesn't yeah. have to be doing this. Um, but, man, he just kills it. Just absolutely kills it. Javi Bardem, one of the best. He's He was awesome. There's something so powerful about working with the same director multiple times because the amount of trust that you build uh, that can't be fabricated uh, is so critical yes um from from theater shows that i've been with there have been great directors that i've been able to be like yes i trust you i trust that note i'm gonna do that i'm gonna play here i'm not gonna i'm not gonna do that choice here but like the the level of trust that goes into it to make you have an incredible performance is such a small window and i feel like denia is like i've got you no matter what Trust me, and you will love what you see yourself as on screen. So yeah, and it just really seems like all of the cast is so bought in on Disney's yeah. vision on this. You, when you hear them talk in the press junkets and things like that, this was evident with the first film too, with the first movie. Like it, um, they they they're like, well, lead us. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like we're if you charge through a brick wall, we're right behind you, man. Yep. Like we're, we we got this. Oh yeah, like the Kool-Aid man. <laughs> like the Kool Aid Man, and. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I, I think that just it works over time for the film. It's it, you know it's cheesy sometimes. You feel like people are like, oh, you know, c- connection matters. You know, like if you read books about like team building and things like that, it's like relationships matter. And I think that is true for movies too. Like you it see is. it when a cast is connected, like really connected. Um, I think of Oppenheimer is a great example. Like mm-hmm. those guys really formed huge bonds during the movie. It makes the movie so much better. Yeah. And this this is another instance of that. You know a recent movie that didn't have strong, healthy connections? <laughs> Don't Worry Darling. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> drama, drama, drama. Did it do well? No. Mm-hmm. And that movie's a disaster. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good call. Good call. <laughs> Let's move on. Showstopper. What was the moment uh, in the film that really just brought you to a halt and said, oh, my goodness, this is the best thing that could have happened in this film or overall something that is more thematic or the music, the score, what is it that brought you? And mine is a specific sequence. Um, I'll sneak this in one. Uh, At the end of the trailer, you see them riding the monster worm through the sand dunes. Mm -hmm. And the whole sequence from start to finish when they are preparing and he they they he, i won't say who rides it and they land on the worm itself and they're navigating the worm like a horse but not like a horse uh through this the sand dunes and spice dunes it is one of the most exhilarating film and movie experiences i've ever experienced in my life i mean I was so excited for it to happen. I was nervous that someone would get hurt. I mean, I was just really, really locked in, and reality didn't matter. I was physically there on the planet in the Spice Dunes with them, ready to go. Uh, So much that my shirt actually, I just saw myself, my shirt looks like the opening mouth of the the worm. The worm. (laughs) <laughs> or like the popcorn bucket. Or the popcorn bucket. <laughs> it does. It does. They should market this. They should find this this designer and sell it. All they have to it. do is put like a Dune logo right here and they would sell it. It would sell like hotcakes. This is my Dune shirt. <laughs> oh my goodness. 
But the worm sequence was just something so incredible. You know, this is like a like an extra threat. There's so many different threats that all of our main characters have to go through. And of course, one of the biggest ones is this monster, a literal monster on this planet. And the the way that they were able to walk through that whole aspect and that whole character in Dune Part Two was very impressive. Yeah, I, and I love I love how the first film helps set up the worms. Mm-hmm. You know, they they talk about it in this very like you know, Shai Halud, the, this, you know, like the, yes. the, the master of the desert, the maker of the desert. And you see it a couple times in the first movie and its scale is insane. And you're like, uh, what? Like they're going to have to, yeah, they what, have to deal with these things. What like, are we what do you do? do? <laughs> what do you do with this? Yes. And there are multiple of them. It's not just like, you know, they say like a worm. They're not talking about like the worm. Like there are lots of worms in the desert. Yeah. And so, I think this this is one of the big challenges that this film had coming in is like you got to make that look real, feel real, feel all of the things that people should feel, and then to your point with with people riding on it, like this is a crazy thing that they're doing, so it needs to feel crazy. And I think seeing it in IMAX, your whole your whole sh- your whole chair is rumbling, your feet is you are rumbling. Den- uh, uh, Hans Zimmer's score is playing in the background, yeah, and it's just like, I mean, it, it's it's like sand and a fan away from feeling like you're there. Like if they just threw sand into a fan, like 4d, I felt like I, there was sand. In my, <laughs> it was happening. There's somebody at the front of the theater. <laughs> and we're just like, <laughs> like seriously, I, I would, I would be down for that. It was so immersive. I was like, is it getting hot in here? Like it just, it, it was, it was crazy. Um, I think that should be like a ride at Disney or Universal. Oh my gosh, can you imagine? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this is. I was just talking about this the other day. Warner Brothers needs a theme park. They that's, do. That's not Six Flags. Yeah, and because Six Flags is just all like it's old and it's all like Looney Tunes themed, which yeah. is fine. That's their kid part, but they need like a. They need an adult. I, I want to ride Dune the ride. Dune. I want <laughs> The Last of Us the ride. I know they have, they have, um, like a haunted house Last of Us thing in, yeah. at Universal. But anyway, that would be that would be dope. Um, and I'm glad that you picked it because it feeds right into my show. Um, I try not to do this because I know if you if you listen to the show or watch the show for long enough, you know that I have a natural bias toward music. Mm-hmm. And so I try to check that often because music makes me emotional. Whenever I watch a movie, it makes me emotional. Whenever I uh, listen to it in the car or go see a concert or something like music just has a lot of power. Um, and Hans Zimmer's score. Oh, my gosh, I like part one is just a taste of what he's cooking up. And he's so like, he's such a, he's one of the best to ever do it. I mean, yeah. he's, he is literally on the Mount Rushmore. It's like him and John Williams. And then you could argue about spots three and four, but you cannot argue about spots one and two. No. Um, Hans Zimmer is a master of themes, which I think is crucial for any film composer. John Williams, obviously right there with him. But you think about Pirates of the Caribbean, you think about one that's really underrated is his Man of Steel score, uh, <laughs> which is beautiful. like, which is like sick. Um, the Superman theme in that is incredible. You know, you think about like the Dark Knight and, and a lot of these Chris Nolan movies. Hans Zimmer has done incredible things with themes. In this one, there's so much going on. The plot has so many different intricacies, and you get that added layer of lots more interpersonal relationships in this movie. And he's got themes for all of that going on, and I love it because the first movie is just it's it's. The first movie, there's just this sense of foreboding the whole time that that the movie never can really rise above. It never really gets to the point of hope because you're like, there's, you know, they get attacked by the Harkonnens and the Emperor. Like, they they get, 
bamboozled and then they're just like on the run for the rest of the yeah, movie. Yeah. But this movie, you know, is building towards the end of the first book. It's building towards a climax. It's b- building towards a resolution. And so with that, any story is going to have themes of hope. They're going to have themes of triumph. They're going to have all these things. So Hans Zimmer had to take it to the next level. And outside of the initial theme, like the whatever, I don't even know what the theme is called. I haven't listened to the soundtrack a ton, but the one with the, with the choral, the, amazing in addition to that he adds this sweeping beautiful um kind of hopeful theme about like you know these people who are trying to fight back against oppression and it is i mean it brings a tear to my eye i listen to it. it's in the trailer it's like gorgeous and i just thought hans zimmer you know he he didn't pull any any punches and he delivered the exact right score for this movie and it elevates it to an extreme level during the worm scene that you're talking about. The score is so present. The score is taking you there. It's, I mean, it's just lifting you off your feet and you're going to that planet. Yeah. And, Oh, that's it. They'll put it in Soren at Disney. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> like you're being- <laughs> and there's a worm coming in. You're like, ah! <laughs> while the score, while the score is playing. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's so immersive. And, um, you know, it's. I try to not talk about the score when I can't. This one had to be talked about. Yes. Had to be. It was. It's so good. I will listen to it now when the soundtrack releases. I don't know if it has yet, but I'm gonna listen to it in my car and just be taken away. It's if beautiful. you time your work day out right, you could have an incredible <laughs> euphoric moment of an accomplished project. Send. Yeah, it's just. You like, did a great job, Cam. It's so good. It's so good. So. I'm glad I got to talk about it. That's beautiful. That's absolutely beautiful. Um, yeah, I, I love how you also said, like, you know, we don't get a full a full climax in part one. No. Because it's halfway through the book, you know? It's like the, the first major obstacle that all of our characters run through. So it's a seeming climax, but it feels like something should be bigger in this giant world. Yes. And this is exactly why. This is a super cut of these two parts in the future oh i feel like so Please. let's let's talk now about the director's shoes let's slip into denis villeneuve's sneakers and i don't know why he's wearing sneakers but today he is <laughs> i feel like he would <laughs> and we're gonna say hey i would think we should have changed this about the film mine obviously goes to my constant battle with timothy chalamet oh no <laughs> I wondered if this was going to rear its ugly head. After the after the acting superlatives, I thought, here it comes. Now, let me do say this. I, in rewatching Dune Part 1, I will say he did a better job than I remembered. Mm-hmm. There are strong moments. You have that in writing, Cam. I texted yeah, you. Yeah, good. He has a couple of strong acting moments <laughs> in that. So, good job. And I hope that is on, that it's the path for, for the future for him. Um, but there are some really poor acting choices by Timothy that should have been addressed, and maybe Denis tried to. When Timothy gets angry, there's no emotion behind it because mm-hmm. anyone can scream. That's very simple to do. But in anyone who knows like a powerful moment, a motivated yell, like why why would I escalate to yell? Right, that's when things are magical. So you look at Josh Brolin in this film. You look at. Um, uh, uh, Batista in this film. Oh yeah, yeah. There are moments in which they need to raise their voice to to demand power, and when they do, it's like, yeah, that that made sense. There's a motive behind that. But when Timothy shouts and yells out of like his teen angst character side <laughs> of him, uh, his moody broody uh, moments, 
they're just so unexpected. They're so secondhand embarrassment. It bothers me to, to a great degree. So Timothy, I think what you really need in your life, because you are so young and you started in this business so young, this is me just talking to Timothy. Um, <laughs> As one does. You need to go through some tragic moments. I, <laughs> no, <laughs> I no. Need, I need some terrible things oh, to no. happen in your life. Oh, no. I need no. you to have loss. I need you to have uh, oh. a breakup. I need you to uh, be, I don't know, have mo- multiple millions of dollars stolen from you. Oh, my Something gosh. Something that makes you understand Demented. that life is hard. And I think the people that really can get to that level are people who have been through the thick of it. And the second one I have is there's a section of the film after we meet Austin Butler's character. It goes a long time. It's a lot of expository stuff. A lot of a lot of good stuff happens in it, but there's there's not the same momentum to the film. Um, and I, I got to again on rewatch. I got to figure out what the what section that is, but it's immediately following um, Austin Butler's big introduction, and then f- for a while before I really get locked back into the movie. So there's a little bit of a mem- momentum issue for me. Yeah, um, I I can actually you know typically I will combat you head on on the Timothy Chalamet stuff because mm-hmm. I, I tend to be higher on him than than you and, and some others. Um, I can see the, the like yelling just to yell thing. I always think back to this, um, this interview I saw with Jake Gyllenhaal back in the day where he was talking about how he was in a movie with Chris Cooper. Yeah. I can't remember which movie it was, but if you know, Chris Cooper, he's, you know, he's, uh, he's always playing like kind of a bad guy. Yes. But he's always, you know, he, his characters are always so layered and there's always so much life behind them. I feel like he's under, I think he's underrated as Mm -hmm. an actor. Um, and he was doing a scene with with Chris Cooper, Jake Gyllenhaal was, and after the scene, Chris Cooper goes, "What are you doing? Like, <laughs> oh gosh, you're just yelling." And they say that, like he said in the interview, Jake did that, like it's a uh, he's a soft spoken guy, Chris Cooper. Like he's not one who's going to speak up very yeah. often. He kind of keeps to himself. So for him to like reach out and be like, "You're just yelling," he, he's like, instead this time, listen to what I'm saying and react to it. Mm-hmm. Like that's acting. You can't just be, you can't be waiting to yell. You have to be, you have to hear it and digest it and be like, that made me angry. <laughs> and then, and then act accordingly, uh, which I think is probably way harder said than done yep. or, or way easier said than done. And, and, and uh, I think it's a hard thing to do. So yeah, I think he, I think he needs a little bit more polish. I, I agree with that. I I'm going to lock him in a room with Chris Cooper, Timothy and Chris. Yeah, Cooper. let's do it. Let's start a little mentorship there. I think he could benefit from it for sure. Uh, okay. My director's shoes is similar to your second one in that there is a bit of a character imbalance that happens at the end where, um, and actually this exists in the book too, I have to say, where there are a lot of moving pieces going on at the end and it's difficult to figure out, and I think it was difficult for Denis and his team to figure out what's the chronology of this that makes the most sense to where our audience isn't feeling like they're being jerked around in every direction. Um, There is a portion of this movie that's shot on that's uh, where they go to Giddy Prime, which is the the Harkonnen homeworld. You see it in the in the trailers where everything is like black and white mm-hmm. there. And so, if you were to jump back and forth from that world to Arrakis, it would feel very frenetic and kind of crazy and a little bit off balance. And I think that's what they were trying to avoid. Um, but because of that, it's like you get some questions near the latter half to third of this movie where it's like why are we introducing this character here uh, 
why is why are they getting this much time versus like cut that down a little bit or it feels like we haven't seen this person in a long time what do they have going on there's just a little bit of an imbalance and i mean it's like i'm nitpicking here it's not does not ruin the effect of the movie in any way um there's just times where you're like hey you know what we haven't seen whoever for a while what's going on there because they were about to do something crazy or there was something big that was about to happen and now we've been here for a little while so it's it, again i'm like the smallest of, of critiques here, but that was the only thing that there is a, there is a section. I think you're probably talking about the same section where you feel it a little bit and you shouldn't feel, you shouldn't feel the pull of it at all. You should feel like along for the ride in a good spot the whole way. And and there is, there is a brief moment where you're like, okay, hold on. We've been here for a bit too long or we haven't heard from this person and we need to move on. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's my director's shoes. Yes. And there are some critical moments in that section that I missed because I, I wasn't engaged and I even had later Mm -hmm. there's later something is revealed out of that. And I'm like, Cam, what? Yeah. Right. (laughs) Cam's like, Oh, they said this. I was like, Oh, Oh, I know where they probably said it (laughs) (laughs) during that chunk where I kind of disassociated when I was eating snacks to stay awake (laughs) as fast as I could. I couldn't hear it over the crunch. Yeah. So that's, that's definitely a a struggle for, for the film. And I I think again on rewatch, I think it'll all piece together. So let's chat about final thoughts and scores. Again, just like part one, this movie demands at least a second viewing. Um, having prepared with the first one helps insanely well with <laughs> with understanding yes. where you're at and being in the right headspace. Like you couldn't go into this movie having watched Priscilla the moment <laughs> before. Like yeah. you'd be sadly confused the entire time. Your, your body would be out of sorts. Uh, maybe you would start like gyrating at the hips while you're... <laughs> trying to watch yeah Dune. definitely that's very relatable i do that all the time <laughs> <laughs> like oh timothy Chalamet? i've taken on a liquid state i don't know <laughs> <laughs> so make sure you watch dune part one before you go see dune part two that is critical and will put you in the best success to understand it where everything is at um but i feel very comfortable laying down this score that I'm about to say with my revised uh, my revised 8.5 for Dune Part 1, this one's going to settle, and I feel like it's going to be locked in for a while. Obviously, I'm going to give it room to breathe, but I I don't know. I'm, I'm going to plant my flag this time. I okay. think it's, okay. it's going to stay where it's at. All right. Because I think Dune Part 1 was something of a marvel. This one really still is. It's very strong. My score for Dune Part 2 comes to a 7.8 out of 10 kernels. Whoa. Lower. It is just, just a tad lower interesting just a, just a i i feel i feel differently okay I, I felt like uh with this movie i i mean i'll just i feel like this is one of the great sci-fi epics ever mm-hmm. i feel like you pair it with the first movie and you've got something you've, you've got something of of really you've got something of note for this modern era of film that's something that is like this is a tentpole essential cinema type thing we, we just don't get huge sci-fi pieces like this very often that are done well and um, adapted from a work that is a masterpiece like, like Frank Herbert's Dune. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just, it's rare. And so to have this and and for them to achieve the scale that they achieved, which is magnificent and for them to set up a third film, I believe. um, Well, for sure, because the book, I mean, we know that this is a six book series, so that's not, you know, like, there is, of course, a setup. It's always. Coming. It's always. Um, but 
the way that they went about it, the emotion that this movie evoked in me. And I think, you know, this is why I stated before that I'm a fan of the book, because I think that that's an important, you need to take my score into consideration with that. You know, if, if there is a bias, it's that I love the book and I love this world. And I, I watched the first Dune a lot because I just love being in this world. And I thought that this was better. I think it's action packed. I think the action set pieces are awesome. I think the opening scene is unbelievable. Denis Villeneuve is a master of uh, hooks, yes. yeah, just getting his hooks in you and being like, "Come with me." We're yes. we're going on a on a wild ride, and that first scene is exactly that. I think the performances are amazing. I think the score is otherworldly. Um, I'm going high. Are you ready? Brace yourself. I'm ready. I'm going nine point five. Wow. Out of ten for Dune Part Two. Wow. I, I really loved it. I think everybody should see it. I think everybody should watch Dune Part One first, like you said, <laughs> and go into this. I think it is the epic cinematic event of this year until something else comes and knocks it off. Maybe I don't know. It's it's a sight to behold for sure. Yeah, for sure. I think the 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 coherency of Dune Part One is so strong for me, um, mm. and that story thankfully solidifies understanding Part Two. Yep. The 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 section that might raise my score again. I don't. I planted my flag, so we'll see. <laughs> the section that might raise my score is if I could watch that that section that I felt like lost momentum, but there are so many moments in Dune part two where I know I've talked about this before, where we think that there should be, or I think there should be an Oscar for best scene. Yeah. And like the opening sequence, that could be a, a nominee, the, the worm riding that could be a nominee. And there, the, the introduction of every character in this film, all of those could be nominees. So that I feel passionately that gets me to the highest to the top of that score. And then the rest of it is like, okay, it wasn't as, uh, as cohesive as I thought it was going to be, but we'll see on second viewing. <laughs> yeah, I I think good scores from both of us. First of all, I don't think seven eight is a bad score. Not it's at all. Definitely not. Um, do you think that this movie is more ambitious than the first movie? I do. Yeah, I do too. I think the I think that's one of the things for me that like it's so ambitious. Mm-hmm. This whole franchise because the the original work is crazy. Mm-hmm. It's crazy and it's not it's not the world's most digestible sci-fi narrative. It's just not, there's a lot of weird stuff going on there. There's a religious component. Yeah. There's this like desert ecological component going on. There's all these politics of things that are, are never really fully fleshed out because you don't need to know everything that's going on. Some things are just like alluded to um, similar to the first movie. And so it's just, it is such an ambitious project. And I think with that comes, comes risk you know there's a reason that people don't take huge swings like this all the time um but yeah i mean i thought it worked out it sounds like there are parts where you're like a little big for its britches but it's uh it's a it's a big ambitious thing yeah but you have to see this movie like yeah oh yeah i agree there's no question about this like this is the movie of the year to see in 2024 um I, i can't recommend it enough it's it's something that we'll never see again um, of this liking, even if even if and when we see part three, Dune part yeah, three. Yeah. That will be something completely different uh, based on where the story ends and where they where whatever's coming next, it will be completely different from what we just saw. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. Incredible. Incredible. Well, you guys, you guys are going to see this film on March 1st or maybe some possible slightly early screenings a day or two before if it comes over to your area. We look forward to hearing what you have to say about Doom Part 2. Reminder, 
Go watch Dune Part 1, no matter what. Avoid at all costs Dune 1984 with Kyle McLaughlin. <laughs> oh, Don't man, please. Do it. <laughs> it is a mistake. Unless you want to watch the first 15 minutes and just laugh. Yeah, then, it's it's good for a laugh for a bit. Yeah. And then and then the laughter turns to tears because you're like, why, why have I put myself through this? Why was someone paid to do this? And I'm saying that as someone who, who understands David Lynch's appeal as a director. I can't say that I love David Lynch because mm-hmm. some of his movies make me really uncomfortable and I have trouble reconciling that. Uh, but <laughs> the nightmares that Cam has. <laughs> Seriously, Mulholland Drive changed me forever. Yes. And so they're, they're, I, we, I have a complicated relationship with David Lynch, but uh, what he did in that movie, I, I cannot. It's I, unforgivable. It, 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 it truly, it honestly is. It's really bad. It's very bad. It's really bad. And they have uh, Sir Jean-Luc Picard, oh, <laughs> Sir man. Patrick Stewart in there, and you just threw it away. You just yeah, threw it away. You just wasted it. It's too oh, bad. Oh, my goodness. So thank you again so much for listening. Thank you for watching us on YouTube. Don't forget to chat with us through Discord, through Facebook, through Twitter, slash X, through Instagram, through calling us on our phone numbers. Again, Cam's <laughs> is 555. <laughs> yes. One day I'm going to create a real phone number just for you and yeah, surprise business, you. Yeah, a business hotline. We should do that. I would love it. So any one of those ways, you can find us on all of our links on, on our website, popcornforbreakfast.com. And anything else, Cam? No, I I feel good to have this off my chest. You feel fulfilled that you got to I do. chat about I it? Feel, yeah. I feel good that I finally get to talk about it because I, uh, you know, we were we were not allowed to for a period of time yeah. there. And uh, yeah, I hope you guys all share your opinions in the comments once you see the movie. If you mm-hmm. haven't seen the movie yet, Go see it and then let us know your thoughts and how they matched up with ours because we we had a difference of opinion, which I actually love when that happens. It's so much more fun. Um, So yeah, let us know. Remember, fear is the mind killer. We'll talk to you soon. Peace. Peace.